All right, and we're live on the Blacklist Sessions. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. I'm really excited about today's episode. We have Beck on the podcast. How are you? I'm fabulous, thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so um, what is it that you do? I know that um, there's some people listening that are very interested in what you have to do. Oh, that's fun. Um, so I'm a mortgage broker. I'm basically a numbers nerd. <laughs> basically, uh, what I do, obviously, is go and visit people in their homes and um, pull together their finance. That's the top level, shall we say. But really what we're doing is um, filtering out all the ins and outs, putting that jigsaw puzzle together and kind of making people's dreams come true, which is why it's phenomenal. It's why it's such a great job. Yeah, so there's a lot that goes into mortgage broking and uh, it's kind of shrouded in mystery like I think it's the whole finance sector is shrouded in mystery for a lot of people because everyone's scared of numbers but don't be scared of numbers <laughs> yeah that's good like even from stocks and investing and and just property in general I feel like there's a lot of people out there that aren't really aware of what goes into the process so mm-hmm. if you could elaborate on like what what it is that that goes on you know what one day I'm going to do in those memes you know what I do what people think I do <laughs> that sort of stuff so I think what people think mortgage brokers do is just find the cheapest deal. And at the end of the line, that's what we want to do for you. But it starts with filtering out um, who won't approve you, then deciding what's going to suit you best, working out what you need in terms of the actual loan amount, in terms of how to to go through the process, um, then providing you with your solutions and getting you through from there to approval. And we hold your hand the whole way. So it's kind of fun. And we're quite involved in your whole um, process from start to beginning, uh, start to finish. I've been doing this a very long time. <laughs> so um, there's not a lot that we haven't seen before and there's uh, quite a bit of, should we say, experience that comes into play as well. So you come to me and you're late 20s and you're been uh, engaged for five years and you want to buy a two-bedroom apartment, you can be sure I'm going to try and talk you out of that because I know you're going to fall pregnant in the next couple of years and it's not <laughs> going to suit. So there's, so there's top level is we just find you the cheapest deal. But underneath that, there's so many more layers and it's such, you know, it's a cool job. Mm, so, so what's the process? So, let's say that there's a young couple there, you know, they've just got engaged at like 23, 24, that, Perfect that kind example. of age. <laughs> and, and they want to live together and they're, they're looking to buy a property because they'd rather save, save their money in that respect and have an asset at yep. the end of the day. What, what is the process? So, they, how much do they need to get together, like approximately? Yep. So, the answer to that is in percentages. So, more or less, if you're a first-time buyer and you're buying under particular thresholds in in different states, um, you could qualify for no stamp duty. So, in that instance, if you've got around about five or six percent of the purchase price, you could get into the market. So, it's mm-hmm. not a really high um, entry level any longer. Um, additionally, if you have you know really friendly parents who are willing to support you, you can actually get away with no deposit at all. Mm-hmm. But the more that you have, the better savings history you have, the more you're going to have a feel for what it's going to be like um, and the better success that you've got. Yeah, that's great. So, uh, you obviously do need to save up a certain amount, whether that be 5%, 10%, 20%, hell, if you're rich, maybe 50%. Who oh, knows? go for it. <laughs> <laughs> so, what about uh, income? So, what do you think someone should be earning uh, on average every year uh, for it to be a good idea to jump into something like that? So, that's a really challenging question because how mm. long is a piece of string? If you're yes. buying for 500000 the income requirement requirement is substantially less, obviously, than um, if you're borrowing six or seven hundred thousand. What I will say to you is the banks are always testing you at about two, two and a half percent over the current interest rates. So mm-hmm. if you um, look at those repayments and, uh, you know, work out what that would be at that rate, um, get your get your, your income, take away the tax, take away some rudimentary living expenses, take away any other 
um, commitments that you have, if there's enough left over at the end of the month to cover that repayment, then you're on track. It's it's a complicated situation. It's a complicated calculation. But for us, it's it's two minutes of work yeah yeah well that seems like a really good idea you know work out what the repayment's going to be maybe go double or even triple and after all expenses i guess see if you know it's affordable yep and it varies quite differently too so if you are in a payg position you you get paid by somebody else you work for someone else then the banks work on your what is so what you currently earn shall we say but if you're self-employed then the bank works off your last two years history and each lender treats things quite differently so that's another thing is if you walk in the door of the wrong bank you could very well get declined <laughs> oh yes <laughs> yeah and it's and it's it might not be that you can't borrow the money it just might be that you've chosen the wrong branch mm. so that's a bit of a tip for people if you get a no don't stop there try and find out why it is and then try and work with somebody to get to some place yeah better. that's right because they're, they're also different i know for, for ourselves uh because the the business in probably the last year and a bit has done really well with all the the filming um so as a result you know th- uh, my income's increased quite a bit in comparison to past years yep. so because we, we felt like we we're in a good place we had a lot of money saved up we decided to go with anz because uh, mm-hmm. they worked off just the one year tax returns that's, that's a key but uh yeah yep. being uh, now so- anz doesn't work for everybody so you can't just jump <laughs> no. into anz However, yeah, there are lenders that'll take your lowest, your lowest plus 20%, the average of your last two years, or like you say, there's a couple that will rely on your most current year. Um, As well as that too, depending on the type of business that you have, there are things that you can add back to your income. So if your accountant has written off particular things as they do, some things can be added back with some lenders, but not with others. If you're, for example, an excavator, you've got no chance of adding back the depreciation that you've... um, lost in that tax year Mm -hmm. with some lenders but with others they're quite happy to do so so um obviously an excavator has quite a bit of depreciation that means that your tax return is reflecting that Mm -hmm. it's it's hasn't physically cost you that amount of money to run that excavator during the year and yet you're penalized with one and not the other thankfully not the other (laughs) (laughs) well that makes perfect sense and i think that is a great idea uh why it would be good for people to talk to a mortgage broker Mm. because the bank's going to look at it and go yes or no whereas i guess a a mortgage broker would work with you to go okay well you know this bank does this and there's a lot more inside information that's right and if you're sort of halfway through the year you can also target where you need to be for the end of the financial year i don't know if you've ever played any of those uh you know games like candy crush or whatever (laughs) if you've got a target it's amazing how many times you'll hit that whereas if you're just playing your score might be rubbish Mm. so again if you've got that target and you know i need my turnover to look like this you will work that bit harder to get there yeah that makes perfect sense Mm. i guess you could attribute that to a lot of areas you know if you've got a goal you have something to work for otherwise you're just swinging in the air (laughs) yep absolutely you're just picking up whatever comes and it's not necessarily gonna get you where you want to be yeah awesome oh that's that's some really good insights so um how did you get into mortgage broking so 18 long years ago um (laughs) i was actually pregnant and i um my then boss was fabulous and Mm. he I'm going to say he forced me to buy my first investment property. He didn't. Of course, I had personal choice, but Mm. he really uh, encouraged me to do so and pushed me through that process. And doing so, um, I worked out that I really loved this. I really loved the numbers and I loved um, being able to help people. Um, I also thought that it was a job that I could do at night while the baby was home with dad Mm -hmm. and that I could um, then be home during the day with the baby and it would all work quite nicely. 
Banks don't work nights. <laughs> <laughs> no, they certainly don't. <laughs> no, no. So it's a job that's it's got extended hours, shall we say? But it, you know, it's good. One of the really great things about um, mortgage broking or numbers in any kind of facet is you can sometimes remove emotion by using numbers. I know mm-hmm. that sounds a bit crazy, but if you're tossing up between A and B, should I keep my house or should I sell it? Should I? Um, you know, should I sell this one or buy this one or that one? If somebody reduces that down to numbers, it can bring a lot of clarity. Mm. So I might say to you, look, this scenario is going to cost you $1,000 a week. This scenario here is going to cost you 1500 Immediately, one of those might be unaffordable. Knock it out. And that's true. I mean, that's a lot of games that you can do. Yeah. Work back to numbers on. For sure, for sure. So, I know a lot of Australians, uh, especially young Australians that haven't bought any properties as of yet, can find it quite difficult to get into the market. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is very much, I guess, an equation of being financially free, uh, you know, as you get a bit uh, older in life. So, how, how would you encourage someone or what, what advice would you give someone that doesn't have anything yet, but they, they want to be financially free uh, at some stage? Yep. Well, don't we all? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Save, save, save. And they always say... Um, it's not so much what you earn, it's what you keep. So um, reduce your expenses, cut the rubbish. If you're really focused and and serious about it, then you can um, make decisions to forgo things now that will give you so much more in the future. Um, Cut out unnecessary debt. You Mm -hmm. don't need the latest, greatest of everything, honestly. Um, I have a lovely home that I'm paying off, but I still have some secondhand furniture and it doesn't bother me in the slightest because... I can afford my home and that's more important to me. Um, So, save, cut your expenses, um, have a targeted goal, shall we say, and know how you're going to get there. And that might take a little bit of advice from a few people, um, but people are quite often happy to share that information and and give you some tracks. Yeah, so it's very much prioritising, isn't it? You know, it's uh, how much do you really want something Mm, as opposed to, you know, oh, well, you know, it might be nice. You don't need a whole house full of new furniture. You don't need the shiny new car every every five years and you don't need an overseas trip every year. It'd be nice, it'd be great, but that stuff will come in time. Mm, That's right. You know, you set yourself up, buy yourself some assets and then let the interest uh, make you. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. So that that that's my plan anyway. It's for any kind of uh, extra expenses and kind of fun things, I guess you would call them, like trips and uh, you know nice cars. Uh, the plan is to develop a portfolio first, yes. And then once I have a portfolio, then the uh, the portfolio then the will feed you those things. Absolutely, <laughs> but it's a little bit of um, sacrifice initially. It is. I mean, not so great at delayed gratification, but just it's worth it 100 <laughs> percent. oh that's great so um do you offer loans for other things um besides houses yep so we do a little bit in personal lending we do it quite a bit for business lending so mm. if you if you're um a reasonably established business so 12 to 18 months or older it's there's some quick um and simple business loans that are out there um we do um uh, refer people to investment advisors who can then suggest shares, property, whatever else, and and also find properties for them. Um, But predominantly it's resi, tiny Mm. wee little bit of of personal lending, bit of business lending, cars and and, um, motorbikes and once a forklift. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That was pretty cool. Um, We don't do personally a lot of um, commercial stuff. There's other guys who specialise in that. Awesome. Okay, so so for houses, like houses are obviously quite expensive. Mm -hmm. Um, So most people would be getting loans for them. Uh, Let's say there's someone that wants to get a new car. Mm -hmm. Um, Are there advantages to financing that or do you think it would be better to just buy straight out? Mm, So, at the 
bottom line, it really depends on your circumstances. If you're a consumer, if you're just a mum and dad, then if you can afford to pay cash, pay cash. Mm-hmm. There's no interest on cash, right? But, um, if you're in a business situation and you have personal a personal loan, a personal home loan or non-deductible debt, then your accountant is going to advise you to take out a loan for that car and pay the extra money off of your, you know, pay your cash cash off of your personal debt, which is not deductible. But we can't talk about personal circumstances here. It's just information. But it's easy stuff for your accountant and us to work out. Yeah, cool. So, um, I, as I said before, there's a lot of young people that listen to this podcast. I love first-time buyers. <laughs> yeah, they're great. I, I was one once. Yeah, we all yeah. were. <laughs> oh, yes, that's right. So, there's a lot of folks that uh, that run their own business and um, there's a lot of folks that where their business have done quite well and they've put mm-hmm. some cash aside mm-hmm. uh, for investing um, and they're, they're looking to get into property mm-hmm. and the current market's on the way back up. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what do you think you would suggest? Like, what's looking good at the moment? Is it looking for say properties that are yielding uh, for like rental yield or do you think it's better to go for capital growth? So everybody's situation is slightly different. Um, capital growth is a long-term beast and you've mm. got to be in it for quite a while. You've got to choose your areas and you've got to choose, um, shall we say, based on economies that are quite diverse, um, infrastructure growth, all that sort of stuff. It used to be that you could just buy in Sydney and rely on Sydney to double every seven to ten years. Mm-hmm. I'm not quite sure. We'll have to see. Now we have a lot of intervention, um, so I'm not quite sure whether we're going to continue to see that seven to ten year growth. It'll it'll happen. It it'll still come, but it might cost you a lot on along the way. Um, the flip side of that is if you buy something that is so that's capital growth. Obviously, mm. the flip side of that is if you buy something that's got a bit more yield, a bit more um, cash flow return, then that could help you to fund one of those negative geared, you know. M- capital growth type properties Mm -hmm. so i you know what i'm really a fan of balance um again different horses for different people but i'm really quite a fan of balance and in fact if i was thinking about um investing in a property right now i think i'd be buying a couple for return and Mm -hmm. then one for growth shall we say or or just having the return feed in and improve the system yeah so diversification a bit of diversification yeah but what happens with um something that's that where you're aiming for capital growth and it's not always true you can pick areas that are going to hotspot for example but typically it is that long-term burner and it is going to cost you a little bit more along the way so holding that property means you're going to run out of capacity run out of the mm-hmm. ability to continue to invest faster than if you've got something that's cash flow positive so that's where the balance is really fantastic yeah one that's going to pay for the other one's losses is going to let you stretch yourself further um whereas if you were after something that's all in sydney with lower rent returns at the moment Mm -hmm. um you're going to run out of capacity pretty quickly yeah for sure that seems like pretty strong advice Mm. i'm really interested to watch our property over the next 10 years or so because ever since i was quite young like the the amount the property has gone up has been crazy and and wages have not grown at the same rate so i feel like at some point like something's going to give, like wages are going to have to go up yeah. or property's going to have to come down because it's just going to become so unaffordable for a and lot of people. this is why we're saying that we're not quite sure that we're going to get that reliable seven to ten year double in Sydney any longer. Um, and Sydney's just one market. Mm. Um, Melbourne follows a little bit suit. Uh, Brisbane's been very flat for a long time. Some of the other markets have gone backwards. But this is why we think if people reach the end of their capacity, which is what we're talking about, their income has run out, it can't keep going up. It will. 
in time, but something's going to hold it back in the meantime. And yeah. I think you're dead right. Yeah, well, that's right. The only way I can see it continuing to go up at the rate that it has is just through foreign investment, uh, people from overseas that are buying up. Because, yeah, like in Australia, we just... I feel like we're lacking in innovation, you know? We're, we're relying on the mining pillar. <laughs> and it's gone. This is the thing. We're not making anything in Australia anymore. So now we're turning into the smart country. Well, the smart country's got to start acting like it. I, I 100% agree. I'd love to see a lot more innovation... Uh, getting done uh, just in, from the private sector and the government sector. I'd love to see them uh, pushing more uh, towards just getting people that are going to innovate and create those jobs and those high-paying jobs that are going to facilitate that growth over time. And absolutely, time. We, need, we need more jobs and we need more high-paying jobs. You're absolutely right. Um, back to that question a little bit. One of the things that we're seeing um, in terms of trends at the moment, we're seeing a lot of people buying um, dual-income properties. Mm-hmm. So they might buy um, a piece of land and put, a house in a duplex or a house in a granny flat and that's then giving them the return that they want that feeds into the next project and again hot spotting on we are we are western sydney oh yeah <laughs> there's a lot going on around here so there's prospects there for you know accelerated growth in those areas versus some of the more established areas that's that but that's a challenging thing you've got to be really on top of knowing what's coming mm. to, to you know to follow the hotspots there used to be a few rules we used to say just add water uh-huh. anything near the water <laughs> would go up in value um follow the big boys so if you know woolies is going in for example then it's it's pretty sure that there's a growing economy there and that's mm-hmm. something that might work for somebody um there's loads of rules like that it, obviously you're looking for infrastructure you're looking for changes that are going to bring more people into the area hospitals, schools, universities going in, that's a really good driver. Yeah, that's. I think that's really strong strong advice there because a lot of people wouldn't consider that. They might just look at a suburb and go, oh, you know, kind of looks like it's in a good spot. Oh, I think I want to live there when I'm 50. <laughs> <laughs> It's not. It's going to hold you back from something else. Yeah. Okay. So, so following the big boys and just following the in infrastructure. Um, are there any tips on top of that that you think would be helpful for people that were looking uh, to invest? Well, here's another one that's a little bit curious. We're seeing a real, uh, shall we say, I'm going to say revolution, but maybe I mean evolution in the type of property that people want. Um, so pr- traditionally, people bought units because they couldn't afford anything else. Mm-hmm. Now people are buying units because they don't want to pay mow lawns. <laughs> They don't want to do maintenance. So I understand that. Right? <laughs> so there's just a little bit of an evolution in terms of the right property type as well. So, again, if you buy, um, you know, if you go you go into, I'm uh, trying to think of a good example, but if you go into the wrong area or go into the right area but buy the wrong type of property, that can hold you back as well. Mm. Um, there's areas that are very attractive for particular demographics what does that demographic want if they're all young people they don't want a six story a six bedroom house it's it's pointless yeah, it's to too, build that too unmanageable yeah yeah and but i guess vice versa like let's say you're in in hunter's hill it'd be crazy to get a unit when there's so many nice properties in the area well so hunter's hill because you, you might buy that unit because you can't afford anything else but i tell you where it's happening at the moment is castle hill so mm-hmm. the the hillshire um castle hill council are actually cracking down on some of the developers who are knocking down big four and five bedroom houses and putting up two and three bedroom units that's not going to fit the demographic because it's traditionally a family neighborhood so Mm. it's having these kinds of lenses on that can mean some improved success down the track yeah so there's really a lot that goes into it like um like following following the big boys following the infrastructure and just knowing what the demographic is so someone if they're looking to invest in in property it would be best to speak to a a mortgage broker and um some financial advisors so they can work 
work out what all these key things are. Yeah, and um, there are buyers agents as well who specialise in finding the right kind of investment for you. And it's just where you pay somebody else to do the research and it costs you next to nothing compared to the loss you might make if you buy the wrong place. Mm, that's right. You know, you could make a lot of money doing it that way because, yeah, you're, you're collecting so much information from people that do this stuff every day yep. in the field. Yep. And that, that's something I talk about a lot is is that local knowledge and whether mm-hmm. local be local to an industry or local to an area. Yep. I find that wherever we've gone um, around Australia, around the world, um, or when we've gone into a different sector, it's that real local knowledge and yep. that understanding that's led to some incredible results. Well, if you and I have done well specialising in our areas, why wouldn't it also apply for somebody who's trying to do the same thing, trying to invest, go to a specialist? Exactly. Yeah, mm. we uh, we shot a clip over in Alaska uh, yeah, with an artist called bragging. Jane Denham. Uh, there, there is a point to this. There is a point. <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> and uh, we, we, so we we went over there, and like I am not that familiar with Alaska because mm. I live on the other side of the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, when when we went over there, uh, we spoke to the ice road truckers because they oh, were in, cool. in the music video. Yeah. Um, and and we just said to them, you know, can you find us the most scenic spots around Anchorage, like two three hours? around that yep. and they said oh no worries no problem and they, yep. they they took us exactly to the spot and when when they did it was just the most incredible location ever yeah. and we would have never found that now, and it if was you like- relied on a tourist guide you'd have found the perfect spot full of tourists <laughs> yeah, right exactly and these mm. guys they took us out of town about two hours and um, it was around a place called Glacier View which is kind of on the road way up north uh, in Alaska where they take all the trucks and yeah, cool. it's unbelievable so mm. it was really that local knowledge can you, like, link that underneath <laughs> so we can all see that? <laughs> I certainly can. I, we have some great photos and, uh, and the video from there. So, local knowledge. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, awesome. So, um, so your company, why is it a good idea <laughs> a to go with you? <laughs> oh, look, that's hard. You can't say with me, but with us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, we, look, we all brokers do a really great job. And I always recommend that you um, interview someone. So if you are recommended to somebody, that's a great uh, way to find them. And if you're recommended to someone, interview them. How how does it feel? Do they speak your language? Do they understand what you're talking about? Um, And that's what we try and focus on, really speaking your language, understanding what you're um, wanting to do, and to try to demonstrate something really, really clearly so that you get a complete understanding of what what we're doing and why. That's Mm -hmm. really key. The number of times I've met with somebody, um, drawn them some diagrams, (laughs) explained why a particular situation might work better for them than another one, and they say, ah, we've had that type of loan for ages. We just didn't realise that's what you do. There's some little uh, tweaks and tricks that we can show that make a huge difference to your success on the way out. So, yeah, there's no point in working with somebody that you don't get Mm. along with, but just interview them. See how you feel. See how they um, seem to align with you. Yeah, 100%. And um, something that I guess is important too is uh, you, let's say you get yourself a 30-year standard, standard kind of loan. Uh, it's something you're not always locked into as well. So, maybe it might be worth chatting to someone to uh, refinance as well. There's been so many changes of late. Absolutely. So, uh, what we're finding is that um, you know, what is this, January 2020 now? Oh, and God. We've, I know. <laughs> and we've got lenders who are offering fixed rates that are well under two, under 3%. Mm. 
interest rates are start with a two. This is crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. Absolutely. So this is a time that we've never experienced before. Um, and if you're locked in at something that's in high threes or fours, you're just throwing money you're away. You're crazy. <laughs> you're absolutely crazy. Yeah. You should keep on top of these sorts of things every couple of years. Much the same as you would review your power bill, your insurances, that sort of stuff. Again, it's not what you make, it's what you keep. Yep. Here's how you can keep more. And then that more that you keep drives whatever your next project is. Brilliant. So speaking of interest rates, where do you think you see them going from here? Because this is incredibly low historically. It's crazy town, right? And I don't know that anybody really knows where they're going or any of the economists predicted that they would get to here. Um, we're hearing that there are more cuts potentially mm-hmm. on the agenda. Um they are pretty darn low, though. So, you wonder how effective an interest rate cut would be mm. or um, if there's anywhere to go. <laughs> um, we don't necessarily think that rates are going to go too far in any particular direction in any kind of rush. So, we think mm-hmm. that any movement is going to be fairly slow and they're going to see it settle in before they might do something else. We can't really see interest rates going up for a while. Unfortunately, the economy just can't support it. Yeah, I think you'll see a lot of people in trouble if they start to go up too dramatically. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with the, you know the whole wages gro- wages growth thing, and yeah. I just don't think they're going to go uh, so well. And uh, we've seen seen around the world. I think Sweden tried it. I think Japan tried it, and they tried the whole negative interest rate thing, mm-hmm. and didn't work so well for them. So hopefully Australia learns <laughs> from uh, those lessons, and well, we, we don't <laughs> crash the economy going negative. We did have some interesting stuff happen last year. So around about July last year. Um, there was some changes to the way that APRA and ASIC, the regulators, um, were, uh, let's say, enforcing or let's say um, the way that they wanted banks to enforce what they call responsible lending. So mm-hmm. um, they used to say you have to test people at a minimum of 8%. In around about July last year, they dropped that down to their actual interest rate plus um, a small buffer. And that made a huge difference to people's borrowing capacity as well, which is... Um, um, it's been really interesting. So if you've got to know before July, it's absolutely worth checking again because you might be able to do a whole heap more than you thought you could mm. do or than you could do at that stage. The difference between um, the difference might mean an extra bedroom or it might mean a different suburb that you can buy in. So it's quite interesting what how that has eventuated or what that's eventuating in. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. It's always changing. So, yeah, definitely worth uh, getting someone who uh, works in the field all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Fun stuff. <laughs> yeah. So, um, let's say we, we have a young person that's really interested in getting into mortgage broking um, and, you know, they're really interested in property. <laughs> so, that that would be the best, best thing to do is perhaps get in contact with you. Like, how would you get a start doing that? So, it's really, um, there's, there's quite a bit of study involved up front and then there's a mentoring process that happens for the next 12 to 24 months. Um, But realistically, it's about being focused on the right outcome for the the customer. And we're about to see some legislation come in that says it's called best interest duty. Brokers have to put the client's need before their own. Duh. That's what we've been doing for years. (laughs) That is the the definition of good business. (laughs) Correct. And that that is, that's right. It's the definition of good business, right? Do the right thing by the person who's in front of you and Mm. and business flourishes. However, so... um, Best interest duty is going to mean a little bit more regulation in the industry. Mm-hmm. It might mean a little bit more education, but it absolutely means that if you're coming in with a desire to look after people, to do the right thing, to um, build a rapport, you've got a bit of a head for math, maybe you've got some um, back 
background in property. It, none of this is necessary, but it all will make it a lot better for you. Um, it starts with a diploma. Uh, sorry, it starts with a, a Cert Four qualification, mm-hmm. and then you work towards a diploma qualification over a period of time. So you can start the training in over a, you know a couple of months, and mm-hmm. then and then kick into your career. It's kind of interesting. It takes a while to make a decent income at a mm-hmm. mortgage broking. Um, Unless you're taking a you know a, um, a paid position, but it's really truly really worth it in the long run because mm, it's a lot of uh, residual income. Uh, yeah. Wouldn't it? yeah, it is. It takes a while to build that up. Yeah, well, you know, it's, it's like everything. You know, you work hard at it, and over time, you get a lot better, and then that residuals built up, and uh, you know, mm-hmm. collect collect more clients and deliver those great loans, and then before you know it, you have yourself a pretty comfortable living. That's the tr- that's the aim. We're um, pretty proud of the fact that more than ninety, probably even ninety five percent of our business comes from. referrals and repeat business Mm -hmm. so i hope that means we're doing something right (laughs) definitely so important um so where do you see the future of mortgage broking going well it's an interesting thing so lots more technology coming in we absolutely have to automate a lot of our processes because what's happening is we're having a lot of a lot more work put onto our table Mm -hmm. so to get the same kind of output we've got to automate and be smart about what we're doing um we on the agenda we've got some fintechs coming in so um finance um online banks Mm -hmm. neo banks all that sort of stuff we're going to see a bit of a challenge from them although at the end of the day people still like working with people so and particularly with such a really big expensive important transaction um so we might see a bit of a nudge from the fintechs but hopefully we'll be able to stand our stead um I see that with lending becoming more and more complicated, um, like I said to you, you can really easily walk in the, br- the door of the wrong branch. Mm. We're seeing a lot more business through the broker channel um, and that I think reached a peak of around about 65% during last year and I think that that's definitely going to grow in yeah. the, the coming years. Fantastic. Yeah, I think that's a really good point that you raised, you know, automate the back end and get yeah. that all handled. But I think uh, at the end of the day, it like with, with such a big purchase, like having that, that connection and dealing with someone that you can trust yeah. is And knowing is that so the important. robot didn't miss that important detail, the person definitely didn't miss that important detail. Yeah, yeah. fantastic. So, um, what's the best way to get in contact with you? Um, so, you can pop me an email, Facebook message, um, dive onto the website and check us out. Um, so, our website is tworedshoes.com com.au little bit of an interesting name people remember it <laughs> yeah is there, is there something behind that name <laughs> well it's there's there's no place like your home ah beautiful <laughs> so it's a little bit of wizard of oz reference but it also i mean it was very um clearly designed that we we predominantly female staff mm-hmm. so we find that women get often overlooked in the process mm-hmm. and it's kind of cool for them to know oh this is a female on the other end of the line they're going to listen to me yep so it's it's playing on that empathy or letting people giving them a, a subtle hint that there's some empathy at the you know at the end of that phone yeah oh that's great so uh so two tworedshoes.com.au so get in contact uh beck thanks so much for coming on the podcast it's been been great to have you here and uh delivering a lot of great information for people uh that aren't too familiar with the process fabulous thanks so much (laughs) awesome so you've been listening to the blacklist uh blacklist sessions thank you so much for tuning in Uh, we've got a lot of great guests coming up over the next few weeks so stay tuned and uh who knows you might learn something new